0: So, Will. Yeah? What's your favorite Hitchcock movie?
1: Um, I mean, here's the thing. I've said this before. I really like the first part of The Birds when it looks like a screwball comedy where she keeps delivering birds to this guy to flirt with him. I mean, so that, like half of The Birds.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you watched Shadow of a Doubt? I have not. That's a lesser known one that was really cool because it was about a teenage girl trying to piece together the fact that her uncle, who she's named after, is a serial killer. Oh my. Yeah, it's really cool. And it ends on a train.
1: Were there strangers on it?
0: See, that's the thing. I haven't seen that one, but watching this week's movie now really made me want to watch it.
1: Especially because it's based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith.
0: Exactly. The woman who wrote the book that became Carol also wrote Strangers on a Train.
1: Right, and that was actually her first book.
0: Yeah, it's insane. To, like, think of these as the same person? Right. This is
1: in the same cinematic universe as Throw Mama from the Train, the Billy Crystal and Danny <laughs> DeVito adaptation of that novel.
0: Didn't Danny DeVito write that? He definitely Or, I mean, directed, directed it. it? Yeah. Oh, my God. What a weird, connected world. And this is how we connect Carol to Danny DeVito. They're set at
1: different times, so they could be in the same universe.
0: It is possible. Yeah, so Patricia Highsmith. That's her name, right? Yep. She was a famous detective novelist, but in 1952, she released a lesbian book.
1: Well, the thing is, she wasn't, like, famous as a detective novelist, because The Price of Salt is only her second book. So she writes... like,
0: famous as a detective novelist these days. Yeah,
1: yeah. She wrote Strangers on a Train. That got optioned by Hitchcock. They made the movie. She's working on her next book, and she writes The Price of Salt. And the editors are like, hey, you might want to use a a different name for this. (laughs) Yeah. So it's published under the name Claire Morgan. And then she spends the rest of her career writing more of these kind of thriller books. She wrote all the Mr. Ripley books. And this is this weird outlier that she doesn't actually publicly acknowledge as her book until 1990.
0: Yeah, it's probably, for the time, probably smart for her publishers to be like, hey... Put a different name because otherwise you're that lesbian author.
1: And that's what she said in a lot of interviews. She was like, yeah. I myself didn't really want to put my name on it because I didn't want to become a lesbian author. I'd already somehow become a thriller author after writing <laughs> one book.
0: Yeah, it does not take much to get pigeonholed in the book industry. Yeah. That is one thing we have learned. So I found that really interesting because I was just like, huh, Carol and Hitchcock somehow do exist in the same world.
1: There are some ways where there, there is a similarity and to there, the field. yeah, the obsessive quality of this story has a certain Hitchcockian feel to it.
0: Very much so, where it's, like, so focused on the people, which Hitchcock definitely is. There were
1: elements of it that kind of reminded me of Vertigo. Yeah. Just this insatiable need to to see someone to be near them, to know what's going on with them.
0: Right. But this one is definitely less controlling. And certainly nobody falls off of a church bell tower. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know... Vertigo, not exactly a healthy example of a relationship. No. (laughs) And this, we'll probably talk about it, but it is an interesting whirlwind romance.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, we're getting kind of into the weeds considering we formally started the episode, but this is in part based on an experience that Patricia Highsmith had one Christmas season in the early 1950s, she was working as a clerk at Bloomingdale's in order to pay for psychoanalysis to explore her ambivalence about marrying her fiancé.
0: I don't see the connection to this movie at all. <laughs>
1: so while she was working there, oh, by the way, she did not go through and get married. She never got married. She saw this blonde woman with a mink coat who bought a doll from her, and Patricia Highsmith got kind of obsessed with her, and she went home that night and wrote out this outline for the whole book in a couple of hours, while also suffering from a pretty intense fever. So this story kind of feels like a fever dream at times, and it literally is. Oh my god. <laughs> she put it together while in bed with a pretty serious fever, is what she wrote the outline, and then worked it out into a book over the next couple of months. She also herself became kind of captivated with this woman And held on to her address from the store and like went to her address and like kind of spied on her a couple of times.
0: Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, you know what else I just thought of would have been a great cold open? Because I feel like we're about to begin the episode. Yeah, what would it be? There's one correct answer. What's the best Sarah Paulson movie?
1: It's Down with Love.
0: It's Down with Love. I've never seen a wig stay so firmly in place, and I will never forget that That about that movie. Just the fact that Sarah Paulson's wig is so maybe carved out of plastic, and there's no way you could say it's not carved out of plastic, makes it very much stand out.
1: She's also okay with the gays in that movie.
0: I'm trying to remember, like...
1: Uh, she is flirting that... with, with Catcher Block's friend. Oh, yes, and she and thinks
0: they're in love.
1: She thinks he's gay, and she's like, we can still get married, like, not a big deal.
0: Yeah, that's a very Sarah Paulson move. Uh, But yeah, we've kind of started digging deep into this film already, so we might as well start the show. Let's go for it. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay.
1: And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. And as you may know, this is a podcast uh, with a dedicated mission. An investigative bent, you might say, but, like, not investigative where we're going to, like, sneak up on you and record you without your permission. Instead, we're going to focus on bringing to light truths that everyone deserves to know. And really, the deepest truth that we're interested in is the question of whether Hollywood romance actually makes any sense.
0: Sometimes I wanted to start checking Twitter because this gets longer and longer every week. That
1: was far from the longest. <laughs> that one. was
0: far from the longest, but I usually zone out when he does this. And that
1: one was relevant to the movie.
0: Yep. But we ask also, are these people dateable or even likable?
1: It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one scene flirtation. We will dig in. We'll see what's there. It's our sacred mission. It's our solemn duty. It is our unbreakable vow. We will not stop until we found a conclusive answer.
0: Which, you know, is difficult because there's a lot of movies...
1: There are and so many movies.
0: a lot of different levels of believability.
1: I know. I think that this one's going to be pretty good.
0: Yeah. We've but... definitely bitten off more than we could chew on this oh, investigation. For sure.
1: <laughs> but I believe in us. Are we limited to American cinema? No, we did Call Ho Ho.
0: <laughs> that is true. It is not even a Hollywood romance podcast. It's we're mostly mo- Hollywood romance. <laughs> mostly, but just kind of general movies.
1: Yeah, I mean, this one was mostly financed in
0: Britain. I didn't know that. Yeah. But as you probably know, we're talking this week about Carol, the 2015 Todd Haynes film. I also like how we will sometimes act like, surprise, this is the movie we're doing, even though it's the name of the episode. I mean, that's just kind of like one of those conventions
1: of podcasting that you roll with.
0: I know, it's something that everyone does, and it's always just like, I'm Pretty sure I know what we're talking about.
1: I mean, on some of the podcast apps, it auto-plays through episodes.
0: Yeah. What we should start doing is titling our episodes with movies we're not covering, and then they'll have no idea what's coming.
1: That's a great way to make people very
0: angry. <laughs> I know. I love it.
1: Speaking of movies we're not covering.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Why are we still doing this DreamWorks thing? <laughs> I don't know. I hate it so much. <laughs> right, it's the worst. I do want you to watch How to Train Your Dragon.
1: Ugh, but, I, I mean, like, on the other hand, we could, like, throw down an ultimatum and be like, no more.
0: I mean, yeah. Good God. It's driving us insane. It
1: came up again. So I have some new classes because it's a new semester. And I forget how this stuff came up. I think a student out of the blue talked about B-movie as a good movie. So I had to go into the whole thing about B-movie. And then they were like, but that's an outlier for DreamWorks. And I was like, what are you talking about? And just thinking about all of the DreamWorks that we've watched over the last year.
0: But at the same time, it's like... I still feel like I have hope that something somewhere will show up good. Mostly How to Train Your Dragon. But I've been so beaten down. It's
1: so that agonizing.
0: At, that like at best it'll be mediocre. The
1: last one we did was Madagascar.
0: That is the real problem. That movie was garbage. I don't know about this. You know what's not garbage? The movie Carol. Woo! Oh my god. This movie from like the first opening shot of this movie. The amount of feelings you get.
1: There's a point in this movie, I mean, I've already said that it kind of feels at times like a fever dream, like you're not quite sure what's real and what's not, Yeah. but there's a point in this movie where Jake Lacey's character, Richard, accuses Therese of being in a trance, and she insists that she's not, that she's thinking very seriously about what's going on, but there is a trance-like quality to this movie.
0: For sure, you can see it in the filmmaking.
1: It's almost like just two hours of a held breath, just waiting to see what happens, it's one of those movies that uses quiet so powerfully. This movie is nominated for a bunch of Oscars, including uh, Best Actress for Kate Blanchett, Supporting Actress for Rooney Mara, Cinematography, Adapted Screenplay, Costume Design. And the big one for me is score. Because that score by Carter Burwell really builds out this sense of momentum without ever being aggressive in it. It almost reminds me of one of Hans Zimmer's Batman scores, where you just feel like this forward motion driving But it never quite resolves. Even at the end of the movie, it doesn't resolve the musical thought. Because it's just constantly pushing you forward. You're constantly waiting for the next moment. And on some levels, you're waiting for this to turn into a tragedy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was. I'd even seen it. And I kind of forgot that it wasn't a full tragedy. Because that's the way we're trained in film. I feel, is what sticks is the sad parts, because in any queer story, you can only remember, like, we're trained that to only expect drama and tragedy, so that when something tragic strikes, that sticks more than remembering that, oh, wait, this does have a at least ambiguously happy ending.
1: Possibly hopeful.
0: Possibly hopeful, yeah.
1: Which is kind of similar to the ending in the original novel, which got The Price of Salt heralded as this, like, happy ending book, which always a little bit confused Patricia Highsmith. She was like... It's ambiguous at best. But a lot of lesbian literature at the time in the 1950s did have these endings in which people either ended up happier in heterosexual relationships or else wound up dead. That was a way to sort of cover up for society's lack of approval for these relationships. To the point that like lesbian novels with happy endings were sometimes marked obscene by the USPS and weren't distributed.
0: It's the same reason that In Vertigo, she has to fall from the roof because she cheated. She
1: didn't just cheat. She's also an
0: accessory to murder. But honestly, I feel like the movie more condemns the cheating at times. Like, she cheated and was an accessory to murder, so she couldn't get a happy ending. She had to fall off. And at the time, being a lesbian was the moral equivalent to these things in a way. Right. So you also had to get your comeuppance.
1: Yes, although I think the movie also plays with some interesting aspects where, like, society is less aware of lesbianism than it is of male-to-male relationships. To the point that, like, women could live together semi-openly under the guise of just being, like, gal pals. (laughs) To an extent that men struggled a lot more with, which creates this really fascinating space that Carol in particular, but Therese as the movie goes on, lives in.
0: Right, because even today in a lot of countries, the idea of female homosexuality just doesn't- It's not believed in. Right. Because women aren't sexual beings. So the idea that women would be interested in sex outside of men who have all of the sex drive is just impossible to fathom. Which lets women just kind of, you know, be gal pals. Everyone's like, look at these close friends. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? These women are such good friends. And that also raises the interesting point of her husband knowing about yeah. Carol and kind of seeing it as a habit that she falls back into in a way.
1: Right. It's like drinking or something like that. Right. It's a from a hardest perspective, a destructive habit, but nothing more than that.
0: Yeah, because the idea that she could be attracted to women and not a man is hard for him to see. And we don't know if she's not attracted to men. Harge is gross. So, like, I understand why that marriage might have fallen through, even if she was attracted to him. So we don't know for sure whether she's, like, exclusively into women and pretending or not. But...
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Harge, actually, and, and Richard as well, are interesting male, for want of a better word, well, male obstacles. Yeah. Because they could be a lot worse. Than they they could the be. There are elements of the both of them, particularly Harge, that are pretty awful.
0: It's hard to forgive the shit he pulls. Right. Whereas Richard doesn't do anything Richard except the- really be... doesn't
1: understand her.
0: He tries to fit Therese into the box he expects women to fall into and doesn't listen to her, which is what everyone is taught to do at the time. Whereas Harge attempts to make it so that Carol never sees her daughter again, which is unforgivable. Yes.
1: But one of the interesting things about this movie is the way that even through all of that, there's never a moment where like, anybody like, has a breakdown or is really upset like, about being homosexual. No, which was a really deliberate thing that the screenwriter Phyllis Nagy fought really hard for. She was like, "That's not who these people are, and that's not what's in the book, and that's just like not a thing they would have done."
0: Harge isn't mad that Carol's in love with another woman. He's mad that she's not in love with him. Right? He doesn't really care, and he just uses this as ammunition to blackmail her into loving him again. Which bad plan, dude? It's a terrible plan (laughs) because that seems to be what he wants in the end. Is even by like threatening to take her daughter away from Carol forever, he wants. Wants Carol then to move back in with him and be his wife and I'm like dude she's not gonna be happy with you I right. don't know what you expect out of this in the end oh
1: Kyle Chandler I so want great things for Kyle Chandler and I feel like he's just got a really weird career now
0: I don't know what the last thing I saw him in was besides Carol he
1: was in first man and he was good in that he was the guy who drew the lines on the chalkboard to the moon
0: which was <laughs> what an important role oh he was in game night I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, he was the brother in Game Night.
0: That was a good movie. It
1: was a good movie. You know, it's the same dog as in Widows.
0: Yeah, I did. Game Night was a great plane movie. Oh,
1: I'm sure it's an excellent
0: plane If you're on a plane, would recommend. But back to Carol. Yeah,
1: back to Carol. So, like we said, it's based on this novel by Patricia Highsmith, who's a really cool lady. Uh, Not a lady I would want to spend time with. She seems terrible, but interesting. So she was born in Texas to a single mother, and she was raised by her grandmother there until her mother pulled her to New York. And then her mother was kind of awful to her, and they had this, like, weird kind of codependent relationship where they were both always trying to be around each other, but also really hostile to each other, to the point that, like, her mother would, like, talk to her about, like, having tried to abort her by drinking turpentine. Oh, God. Yeah. So then eventually, Highsmith, she grows up, she becomes a writer, she actually wrote comic books for a while in the 1950s. During that heyday, she wrote for Timely, which later became Marvel. She wrote for Fawcett, which created Captain Marvel, aka Shazam, not the Marvel one. (laughs) Then she also wrote a children's book, which I have not yet tracked down, but it's called Miranda the Panda is on the Veranda.
0: I love it. So I desperately want to read that. All right, let's see if it's on Amazon. She was
1: fairly openly lesbian. She actually carried around a billfold of
0: all these women she'd been with, and she would just flip
1: through them sometimes.
0: Oh god, it's on Amazon. Yeah. But it costs $99.94 for a hardcover, and it is out of print.
1: Well, if you want to send us a copy of Miranda the Panda is on the Veranda, you can send it to us courtesy of the Square Apron offices.
0: This is such a bummer. I feel like someone would have, um, like, photocopied it online, at least, illegally. It's such a great name.
1: I know! (laughs) It's so excellent. And it's possible that Highsmith had a thing for animals, or at least unusual animals, and I don't know if pandas fit into that.
0: They probably did in 1960s or whenever it was written.
1: I want you to guess Patricia Heisman's favorite animal.
0: Is it a giraffe?
1: It is an invertebrate.
0: Oh, man. Um, There's so many more of those. (laughs) Uh, Is it a lobster? It is not. I don't know what it is. It's
1: snails. She kept hundreds of snails as pets.
0: Oh, God. She would
1: sometimes carry around with them in her bag or stuffed into her bra so she could have her snails with her.
0: That's horrifying. Isn't it weird? Yeah. Why would you bring them with you? So
1: they can always be near you, snailing around.
0: Oh, God. I will say I do like snails. And one time I accidentally stepped on a snail and I could hear its shell crack and I felt so guilty. Oh no. I had to like run away and not look back cuz I felt so bad. Wait, so you did a snail hit and run? <laughs> I did. I fully did a hit and run. I couldn't bring myself to see. Are you the villain in Dreamworks Turbo, the snail racing movie? <laughs> I refuse to watch that this one. This is why we have, we to, have stop. to stop this. We took on a mantle heavier than we could bear.
1: What if we just watched the DreamWorks Netflix shows, like Turbo Fast? Or is it Turbo Speed? One of those.
0: Turbo Speed makes more sense.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it makes sense.
0: <laughs> uh, Turbo Fast. Good God. Okay, Patricia Highsmith. Interesting lady.
1: Yeah, Pet Snails.
0: Pet Snails. She also
1: seems like she was pretty mean. Yeah.
0: Um, I, uh, like, kind of scrolling through her page, and I just saw a, um, she was considered by some as a lesbian with a misogynist streak. Yep. Doesn't sound fun to talk to in a way. Yeah, and I
1: think that her racial politics were not incredible.
0: I can imagine.
1: Um... Did you see this movie in theaters?
0: I did. This is the movie I saw at the Asheville Fine Arts Theater.
1: That sounds like a reputable theater.
0: Where, so we went, and it was me and my mom, it was really fun, and we, like, sat down, and there was this group of middle-aged women who were obviously having a fun night out, and they seemed really fun, and I liked them, and we were sitting right behind them, and at one point, I just hear this woman loudly sigh and go, "Ah." Remember when this was the porno theater? And I was just like, Asheville must have been a very different place back then. Because this is the theater that's right in downtown, like, like the heart of downtown Asheville, very noticeable. So for this to be like a porno theater, the downtown area must have just been very different than it is today. That's wild. Yeah, but that's like within our lifetime too. And I don't know if like maybe she was lying or something, but boy, I don't want to look it up and find out and just live in the world where this was a porno theater.
1: That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this movie at the Sundial Movie Theater, and now it's an AMC. I think at the time it was a Carmike in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I was in a theater. It was like a Sunday, like 11 a.m. screening. So it was like, like you said, me and a bunch of old people. Yes. And it was great, except that this was part of this weekend where I kept going through, and like for two days, like through like Tuesday, I was like, I'm in this very strange funk, and I can't figure out what's going on, like why I feel so out of it. And I realized this is the weekend that I watched Carol room, and, like, five episodes of Transparent in, like, a 36-hour period. Ooh, yikes. Which totally messed with my brain, because those are not the cheeriest ways to spend your time.
0: No, not really. That
1: said, this movie, not super sad, either. If you haven't seen it, highly, highly, highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's not a full tearjerker, though. Like, it wouldn't make you weep that heavily.
1: Like, I ended this movie the same way I ended rewatching The Force Awakens last weekend, which was... Cheering loudly and pumping my fist because it's great.
0: Uh, sorry, I just saw on Patricia Highsmith's uh, Wikipedia page, she disliked Koreans because, quote, they ate dogs. That's just a sentence that's in there.
1: Okay, well, Patricia Highsmith, you're carrying a bunch of snails around in your purse, so who are you to talk about how people use animals? Yeah,
0: I don't know what's up with her. There's a lot more interesting stuff there to read later.
1: If they ever made a biopic of her, it would have to mostly be about the snails.
0: It should be told through the snail's perspective. Oh! And then investigate her racist views <laughs> through the lens of her snails in her purse.
1: This is excellent. So is there going to be, like, snail racism as part of this? <laughs> Between different kinds of snails? Yes. Like, almost like it turns into the Sneeches. then?
0: Yep, the Sneeches, based off of the different... I assume they're not all the same species of snail. Probably not. I hope none of How it... many
1: species of snail are there?
0: I'm guessing A lot.
1: I think it's either 7 or 2,000.
0: Uh, snail-world.com is the website I'm on. There are thousands. There is is that second N. There are thousands of snail species. So there are a lot.
1: Okay. Maybe Patricia Highsmith had like a Pokemon mentality and she wanted to catch them all.
0: I mean, you probably shouldn't catch all of them because many of them are poisonous.
1: I feel like that's not a turnoff
0: for her. No, probably not. I'm not going to get over the word thousands. Think of a very
1: slow way to murder somebody.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's in one of her books.
1: This is like the Hitchcock thing about how you create suspense by showing the audience the bomb so they know the stakes of the scene with the bomb under the table. Yeah. It's like that. Show the audience the poisonous snail and let it slowly make its way to the person that's <laughs> going to kill.
0: <laughs> it's just a movie where... An hour in the middle of this hour and a half movie is just watching a snail slowly slither towards someone knowing it's poisonous.
1: I feel like we just invented the movie Rubber with the killer tire. Oh, God. Down the highway.
0: I can't talk about that movie. It was just so bad.
1: That's one of the only movies I've ever not finished.
0: Yeah, we gave up on that. Should we start talking about Carol? Like, the five points?
1: Uh, sure. I think just other uh, things to note, since you brought up the subject of thousands, <laughs> I think we should note that that's about how much money this movie made. I mean, it made about $12 million. Really? In total in its release. It's a pretty anemic box office. It never made more than, like, $1.8 million in a weekend, I think honestly, what probably killed it was that it came out in late December and then didn't get a best picture nomination, which is the kind of boost that a movie like this would use when it comes out in that window.
0: Yeah, it did well overseas enough. Did it really? Yeah, international box office was 30 million. Oh, good. for it. So its total performance was $42 million. How
1: much of that was in the UK?
0: I'm trying to find that now. I'm on not box office mojo. There was a different website that Wikipedia linked me to. So now I go to go somewhere else. This page has it at only 40 million, but the United Kingdom was about 4 million, so.
1: Which is good for the UK. Yeah. Not like blowing the doors open, but solid enough. This movie was not a huge sensation, which is a shame because it is really, really good. And it got some love in terms of Oscar nominations. Like I said, it got those six nominations. It didn't actually wind up winning any of them. Rooney Mara <laughs> did tie for Best Actress at Cannes, where the movie won the Queer Palm, but Oscar is not so much. I remember the like knock against it in Oscar campaign season was that a lot of people found the movie cold, which I've never really felt it's reserved in a way, but it's that held breath kind of aspect where when it releases, it's excellent.
0: That sounds like bullshit come up with by older men to justify why they didn't vote for this movie.
1: Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, here's the thing is there are movies where I felt that way. Like Jackie is a movie that I watched and I was like, I think every piece of this works really well, but When it comes together, it just, like, doesn't click for me. I felt like I was at a remove from it. But I've never felt that way with Carol.
0: No, I think this one was a big, like, something's wrong with the Academy moment, if I remember right. Like, people were... People pointed to the fact that it was about two women and that there weren't any male leads as a reason why people didn't vote for it. Which was
1: an interesting challenge in the financing, too. A lot of the people who were involved said it being a gay story was never the problem with getting financed. The problem was that it had two female leads and people were like, I don't know about that. And it was Kate Blanchett winning her Oscar for Blue Jasmine that kind of helps to get people on board where folks were like, oh, well, I guess Kate Blanchett can be a box office draw like Blue Jasmine had been some kind of hit.
0: How much money did that movie make? I'm
1: sure not a lot. With the exception of Midnight in Paris, there's latter day Woody Allen's Never Do. It made $33 million, which is okay.
0: Let's see what it made internationally. $64 million. Oh. So a lot. Wow. That's so weird.
1: That's pretty odd. I know nothing about Blue Jasmine.
0: <laughs> I think I watched it. I don't remember anything about it.
1: I'll say a thing about, about this year's Oscars. It's a good Best Picture list in 2015, but there's only eight. So there's room for Carol.
0: Yeah. You don't even have to kick anyone off. That's the weirdest part, is it's not like, oh, this movie edged out, Carol. It was just that no one voted for it. But I think the demographics of the Academy in 2015 compared to 2019 are very different.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Now the demographics of the Oscars are just like so muddled that it goes all
0: over the place. Yeah. Remember when a movie about a woman and a fishman falling in love was the safe consensus pick?
1: Hilarious. <laughs> Someone was making the case in Vulture that the weirdo Best Picture nominees this year are actually a reflection of the Academy's diversity things working because the fact that we can't figure out how you would nominate this group of movies together means lots of different constituencies are getting represented in the list.
0: That's true. That's a good point.
1: So that's kind of a nice way to think about this weirdo list that we have this year.
0: Yeah, what a mix.
1: For that, stay tuned for our Oscars episode in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, as a warning, I didn't do great this year. There are a lot of movies on that list I don't want to watch.
1: I saw all of them but Bohemian Rhapsody, which I still don't really intend to see.
0: No, I have no real interest in it.
1: I feel about it a lot about the way I felt about... Another 2015 Best Picture nominee, which was The Revenant, which I just had no desire to see and could not make myself see. Yeah. And much like in 2015, I've seen seven and I'm not planning on seeing the eighth.
0: See, usually, say if Beale Street was on there, which I haven't seen but feel bad about, I would be like running to the theaters to like complete my list. But the movies I haven't seen on it, the only one I'm really interested in is like Black Klansmen, which I can rent, I'm guessing, somewhere.
1: Probably. It came out in August. Yeah.
0: I knew that one was older, so I don't really want to see Vice, don't really want to see Green Book, and I don't really want to see Bohemian Rhapsody either.
1: Green Book is the best of the three.
0: Yeah. But it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I would be forcing myself to watch it for the podcast, and I yep. should. But at the same time, like, uh, there's so many other movies I want to watch.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could go see Serenity again.
0: Should we do an episode about Serenity? A part
1: of me wants to do an emergency episode about <laughs> Serenity.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, we can't talk about that because that'll be that'll way be too long. We really got to start the points. All right, as you know, every week we break a movie down into five different points to uh, investigate the romance and focus on the development of the love story in a movie.
1: This gives us the opportunity to ignore the stuff that's not part of the love story, like when Kate Blanchett puts on a giant spiky headdress and fights against the armies of Asgard.
0: You can cut that part out. We're moving on. All right, point zero. This show has been broken in year two. I know, it has. It's a disaster. But, so, it's not really a point zero because it's part of a later point, but I wanted to acknowledge that this movie opens in media res, like it opens from someone else's perspective who walks in on a dinner between Carol and Therese at a restaurant and then like greets Therese like an old friend. And so it's kind of like you see that happen. You know that something intense is happening between them, but you don't have the details of it. And that opening, I think, is really well done. You get a lot out of the like first 30 seconds.
1: Right. And I think... This, as in many parts of the movie, is a testament to the cinematography, right? which is Oscar nominated for Edward Lachman. It does the watching so well. Yes. There are some really cool parts where you're from a character's perspective. There's a shot when they're at the Christmas tree market, and the camera's actually moving in lieu of Rooney Mara's face, almost right. like you're playing a video game. But it does such a good job of navigating her perspective as she observes the world. But we also get a lot of really clever, like looking through windows and looking through crowds just to get a sense of the distance that plays such an important role in this relationship. Yeah,
0: it's really just so well done in in this opening scene. There is about 10 seconds in which two people put their hands on Teresa's shoulder. Incredible. And the amount of emotion you get, and you see neither of their faces when they're doing this. You see Therese sitting there, and as she's leaving, Carol puts her hand on her shoulder and says, like, it's nice to see you. And I got chills. And there's not like a
1: squeeze, there's not anything too intense, but you do feel a certain amount of pressure yeah. placed. And Therese looks at it, and there's just this, like, ecstatic kind of sense to
0: it yeah it's next level hand acting right <laughs> on the part of Kate blanchett and then therese's friend as he's leaving to go make a phone call or something it's just like he hasn't seen her in a few months so he puts his hand on therese's shoulder casually and it's just like oh good to see you and you can just see it shows you how much feeling before you see the romance between these two women you see how much feeling there exists between them in comparison to just a normal shoulder touch it's an incredible opening It's insane. This
1: is about when I started pumping my fist.
0: Yes. But then it brings us to a cut to the past.
1: And point number one.
0: And point number one. So I don't really see that as a separate point. It's just acknowledging that point number five has aspects that come at different times.
1: Okay. All right. Some nonlinear romance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I wanted to, you know, address that perfect opening as it is and not wait till we get to the end.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. So in important number one, this is the part that's most directly based off Patricia Highsmith's own life, where we have Therese, she's working at Frankenberg's department store.
0: And my first thought when she walked in was, I wonder if this department store also has a full operating hospital in the back.
1: (laughs) I'm sure it does. (laughs) Just in case you need to get some treatment. For your Lampington's disease.
0: Exactly. I made that joke and I had to remind Nick of The Last Holiday. And I was like, Nick, let me down. Remember that doctor who was too cowardly to tell his patients their
1: diagnosis and ran away instead?
0: Oh, man. Great movie. (laughs) Don't fight me on this. This
1: is a great movie.
0: This is a great movie. There can be more than one great movie.
1: Yeah, these are not on the same level.
0: (laughs) They're not. But you know what? They're not trying to be. That's true. Anyway. So we're
1: at Frankenberg's. Rooney Mara, Therese works there, and she sees across the shop a higher class, stunning woman.
0: Kate Blanchett. Stunning woman who, like, has an arresting gaze.
1: Yeah, it's intense. There's a lot of intense looks in this movie.
0: Yeah. She often will run her hand across her neck or something, and it really draws attention to her, but, like, it's just her rubbing her neck or something. But in the movie, you can tell it's that that kind of keeps drawing Teresa's gaze back to her. Right. Because she, like, throws her hair around and it's very powerful.
1: So, Kate Blanchett comes over to Rooney Mara's desk and is like, yo, I need you to help me buy this doll. And Rooney is like, I know exactly what doll that is, but we are sold out, my friend. So then Kate Blanchett is like, alright, well, like, what other dolls did you like? And Rooney is like, I'm not really a doll player.
0: Wink, wink, I wink.
1: Like, <laughs> I like trains
0: wink wink wink
1: and so she sells kate blanchett a train that kate blanchett can give to her four-year-old daughter rindy for christmas
0: such interesting names in that family
1: rindy is short- and- so I, I think harge is short for Harchimedes.
0: and <laughs> rindy
1: rindy is short for uh rindy tindy tenbo no charibari ruchi <laughs> peripembo
0: i don't know what that is a reference to <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's weird uh like fairy tale-y kind of thing I think it might have been Italian. When I was in like elementary school, they showed us this video about Tiki Tiki Tembo, no cell remote Charlie by Ruchi Pip Mary Bembo. I think he falls <laughs> in a well and maybe he drowns because when people are like, oh, he fell down the well, and they have to say his name to be like, here's what happened, but his name takes so long to say that he winds up drowning before anyone can help him. It's like Dark Lassie.
0: Tiki Tiki Tembo is based off of a children's book that is considered controversial. As it's set in China. Oh. But it tells a Japanese story and does not portray Chinese culture accurately.
1: Why did I think it was Italian?
0: I don't know. Oh. So it's written by Arlene Mosel and Blair Lent. But the point of the story is to explain why Chinese names are so short. Wow. Which I guess puts it in the same category. It's like a as like so story. <laughs> how the ostrich got its long necks. Wow, that's uncomfortable. Yikes. Huh.
1: So anyway, uh, <laughs> Rooney Mara sells the train, and then Carol says goodbye and goes off. And that's the end of the movie. They never see each other again.
0: Except <gasps> Carol left her gloves behind. <gasps> and so Rooney Mara, as Therese, has Carol's information because of the um, order, which is getting delivered.
1: Right. So she has her address, her so name, she has address, all that.
0: So she sends the gloves in a package to Carol's house.
1: To be like, hey, here you go. And here then go. Carol calls the store and is like, yo, Put me in touch with whoever returned my gloves, and it's Rooney Mara, and she's like, "Hey!" And Carol's like, "Thanks for returning my gloves. Let's get lunch." And Rooney Mara's like, "I guess, I guess so." But yes. Point number two.
0: The glove lunch. The glove lunch, <laughs> which is a reference to the Indie Spirit Awards clip of Kate Blanchett, uh, Kate, 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 Kate McKinnon playing Carol, intercut with scenes of Rooney Mara from the real movie. That is. A perennial classic.
1: It's pretty great. Camille Nagiani is their waiter.
0: Yeah. So the glove lunch. Carol knows what she wants. Oh, yeah. That's established in this scene for sure, because she sits down, the waiter starts to hand her the menu, and she just goes, I'll have the cream spinach over poached eggs with a dry martini with olives, which sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds so gross, but we get a sense of Rooney Mara. That
1: does feel like the kind of meal Patricia Highsmith would have.
0: Yeah, it does. We get a sense of Teresa's character, because she just says, I'll have the same thing. She can't even it. decide
1: what she wants to eat for lunch.
0: Yeah, so she just follows along with Carol's lead in this scene. And in many others. Oh, yeah. So this is the scene where you get a lot of, like, flirty, flirty, but more subtle.
1: We also, they tell each other a little about one another. Yeah. Some information we already knew. We know that Therese is kind of dating Jake Lacey. Yeah. Who wants to get married.
0: So Therese thinks that she's just kind of dating Jake Lacey. Jake Lacey thinks they're engaged. Right. They're clearly not on the same page
1: in this relationship. Jake Lacey, like, invites her to Christmas with his family, and she's like, no, that's that's just for family. I would feel weird. And he's like, you are family. <laughs> like, let's go to Paris. Let's get married.
0: Yeah. It's really funny to watch this, um, like, <laughs> man, really not get it yeah, for so long. On. It's a two hour movie and the whole movie, you just get reminders of Jake Lacey not getting it.
1: Meanwhile, Carol is getting divorced from Kyle Chandler,
0: Archibald, who has moved out. So she's still in their house with their daughter, but they have joint custody agreement set up as they go through the divorce proceedings. So He has to come over sometimes to pick up Rindy.
1: Right. And they're getting divorced in part because of his upset with her continued lesbian liaisons.
0: His notion that she's continuing. Right. So Carol had a relationship with her best friend. Sarah
1: Paulson. Abby.
0: Who they grew up together. They've known each other since they were 10. And then I think it sounded like for a hot minute, they experimented with dating. It didn't work out. Carol stayed married to... Harge. Harge, Abby moved on, and they're still best friends. But because they're still best friends, anytime Carol spends time with Abby, Harge is super jealous and makes it impossible for Carol to be happy.
1: Right, exactly. So we're finding out all this stuff as Carol continues to ask Therese, like, oh, like, what is it that you like to do with your time? And she's like, oh, I take pictures. And she's like, well, I would love to see your pictures. At your apartment.
0: Invite me over sometime.
1: I'll take a look at your picture.
0: There's a lot of not questions in this. Yes. There's a lot of demands, but I mean, I don't want to phrase it that way, but it's a lot of have lunch with me or come visit me sometime. Right. It's not, would you like to come over on Sunday? It's, Come visit me sometime. Are you free on Sunday? There's something cool about that. Whereas when we ask these questions, it always feels like we're couching. Like, oh,
1: and maybe we'll schedule it. And who's to say what's going on? Whereas this is framed much more as like, this is definitely
0: happening. Yeah, they they push forward. It's like shop next day, glove lunch. Like two days later? Two days later, she's at Carol's house. Which which is our third point. Brings us to point number three. They're building relationship in New York. They're building a train. They're building a train. So Carol invites Therese over and picks her up in the city. Jake Lacey is there to drop Therese off in the car and it's kind of nice just, of him yeah and he's kind of like why are you driving out to the middle of nowhere with this stranger and she's like what's it to you get off my back i, I don't know what and you're talking like, about we are
1: engaged
0: <laughs> yeah and then carol drives up shakes jake lacy's hand and then the two of them drive off and in silence for most of the car ride listen to some music
1: and when they get to the house then rindy is there they're all hanging out but then hard shows up yes and Harge is like, I want to be with my daughter. Also, who the heck is this random lady that's here?
0: Right, Harge was supposed to come the next day to pick Rindy up. This next morning, I think was going to be Carol's Carol Christmas, Christmas with like Christmas Eve. How many people that morning. do you think?
1: I guess the movie didn't make a ton of money, but like, how many people saw a poster of a blonde woman called Carol open right around Christmas and thought they were going to see a nice Christmas movie? I'm not sure. I mean, because one of the staples of those Hallmark and Ion and whatever TV movies, is that all the women have Christmassy names like Carol or Holly or something like that.
0: Yeah, but those weren't as big of a thing then.
1: I mean, they were running strong. They were less of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah.
0: So, I'm not sure. It is funny that this movie named Carol did come out at Christmas time.
1: And it's kind of it's set around Christmas. And it's set around it's Christmas. It's fitting those conventions.
0: It is. Fiona, add this to your rotation. <laughs> so... Harge shows up early to take Rindy away before Carol gets a chance to spend Christmas, like, her Christmas with her daughter. Rindy didn't even get to open any of her presents yet, but that's because Harge's mom decided last minute that they're gonna book a flight and go to Florida for Christmas. Right. Because Rindy was always gonna spend Christmas Day with Harge and Harge's family.
1: And Harge, again, still unfortunately in love with Carol and wanting to try to go back to his perception of the way things were, keeps trying to get Carol to go with him.
0: Right. And then is, you know, suspicious of why Therese is there. Yeah. Who is this
1: shop girl? Why is yeah. she there? Yeah.
0: And, you know, he's not wrong to be suspicious. All
1: right. I mean, this is weird.
0: It is. That pisses him off even more. They fight. He seems a little drunk. Yeah. Carol doesn't like that, putting her daughter in the car with him, but there's nothing she can do. And he
1: is not driving.
0: No, but she's not happy about any of this. Right. And he keeps grabbing at her, telling her to go pack a suitcase, and eventually she does kind of push him over and then goes inside. Goes
1: back in, and basically then Therese is like, I can leave.
0: I'm gonna get a cab.
1: (laughs) And Carol drives her to the train station.
0: Right. So then the next meeting they have is at... Therese's apartment, right?
1: She goes and she checks out her pictures.
0: Yeah, so Carol comes over, looks at her pictures. Which
1: Therese has, like, put out as a display, like, hung on the wall and stuff. Yeah. Poor Carol.
0: So this is them hanging out. They're still very, like, formal between each other. There is, like, a distance between them. Right, nobody's quite sure how to navigate this. Right, they haven't broken down the walls between them or anything like that. And at the same time that this is happening, the divorce proceedings are getting uglier and uglier.
1: Parge has file an injunction where he wants to go for full custody of Rindy, and the argument he's using is morality.
0: Yeah, he pulls out a morality clause because of Carol's liaisons with women, which now includes, like, in the filing, Therese, I think. Right.
1: So this is really upsetting for Carol.
0: Yes. And Carol decides
1: she's got to get out of town.
0: She's got to leave. And invites Therese on a road trip.
1: Right. She tells Sarah Paulson, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to drive, basically wherever my car takes me yeah we're just gonna see what happens and she invites therese and therese is like yeah sure why not yep because she's so captivated by Carol. yeah
0: she is fascinated by carol and we see
1: that like the first time she goes out to carol's house they stop along the way i mentioned this earlier and pick up a christmas tree and we can see in the way that therese watches her the way that she's taking pictures there is this like fever dream obsession that recalls some of those hitchcock movies And so when she's given this opportunity to spend a lot of time with Carol, she cannot say no. Yeah. She feels this compulsion. And Jake Lacey is bewildered by this. He's like, you don't know this lady. She just kind of showed up at your work one day. Therese is like, oh, you know, my rent is paid through February because I had some extra money saved. And Jake Lacey's like, that is the money that was supposed to get you to Paris on a trip with me. What is happening here?
0: Yeah, Jake Lacey is very annoyed. This is when he says, like, you're in a trance, you're in a dream.
1: And there is that dream-like quality to all Yeah,
0: this. but Therese is like, no, this is the most awake I've ever been, and packs and leaves. And this brings us to point number four. They go on a road trip. The road trip. The road trip. <laughs> So, it's essentially w- what it is. Carol and Therese are road tripping around.
1: They go through Pennsylvania, Ohio, into Illinois, and they Iowa. S- they
0: stay in motels. At th- first, they're staying in separate rooms.
1: Yeah, they're getting separate rooms. They're staying in separate rooms, but still spending time together.
0: Carol's paying for everything. Great. <laughs> yeah. That's the Which, way to road like, trip. Thank goodness for... Uh, <laughs> I'll go on a road trip with Carol. <laughs> yeah, I'd go... <laughs> that was one thing. I was like, this seems like... My ideal life going on a road trip with Kate Blanchett,
1: <laughs> who pays for everything. <laughs> just
0: paying for everything.
1: Yeah. I'm down.
0: I'd do it. Okay, hit us up. If i have known Kate Blanchett for two days, like you think like, oh, it's so weird that Therese says yes to Carol on a road trip, even though they've known each other for like four days. But also if Kate Blanchett and I knew each other for four days and she was like, come on a road trip with me, I would immediately Let's call my go. job and just be like, I'm going to be gone. I don't know how long. Kate Blanchett's taking me on a road trip.
1: My rent's paid through February. I know that was supposed to like, I don't know, be my food money, but Kate Blanchett will take care of me.
0: <laughs> yep. So Kate Blanchett, if you're listening, I'm down. Hit us up. DTR. Down to road trip. We
1: have a large social media following, and so we could use it to promote whatever you want.
0: Or not. Just, <laughs> just want to be your friend. Yeah, we'll just go. Yep. Okay, so they're road tripping around. They run into this annoying guy who's- He's a salesman. He sells notions. Yeah, he's a traveling salesman who just sells random garbage. Um, They run into him twice, I think.
1: They definitely run into him in Ohio. Yeah. And then they see him again in Iowa.
0: Right. Okay. But in Chicago, is that the first time they stay in the same room?
1: In Chicago, they stay in the same room. There are separate beds.
0: Separate beds.
1: That they sleep in. Right. It's in Iowa that they stay in the presidential suite.
0: Yeah. So they stop in Chicago. Uh, Therese gets a lot of letters from Richard, even though they kind of broke up before she left. They stay in the Drake Hotel, which is like the first nice place they've stayed in. So they're luxuriating in that.
1: They're having a great time. Yeah. And they keep on going. They make their way to Waterloo, Iowa, which has this incredible sign when they come in of like a cartoon drawing of Napoleon.
0: I need to know if that's real. I think
1: it is. And so then they're staying in a motel again, but they get the presidential suite this time.
0: It's an attractive deal.
1: It's not the only attractive deal. that happens that night.
0: Yeah. So they- it's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. They're staying in the same hotel room and Carol takes a shower and Therese brings her her clothing. It's very intimate.
1: And as midnight strikes, they're hanging out. Therese is sitting in a chair. Carol's standing behind her.
0: They're both in robes.
1: And Carol takes off her robe. Yep. And they have sex. Yep. And it's very well done.
0: It is. And Compared it,
1: to, again, we've already mentioned, we saw Serenity. If you want to see something wild.
0: If you want to see really bad sex in a movie, go watch Serenity. <laughs> so then the next morning, Carol gets a telegram from Abby. And they open next door. They're in room 42, and next door in 41, they see the Notion salesman with recording equipment.
1: And he recorded them having sex the night before.
0: And sent the tapes to Harge for the divorce proceedings. And this is hard to come back from.
1: Right. So Carol, at that point... Loses it. They move on to the next place, but then, in the middle of the night, Carol leaves.
0: Yeah, they are sleeping in the same bed, but... The next morning...
1: Therese wakes up alone.
0: Wakes up alone in bed, except Abby is sitting in a chair.
1: Carol has sent Abby, like, take care of her, get her where she needs to be. I don't
0: think Therese can drive, so Abby is there to drive her back to New York. So the two of them drive back together. uh, And
1: Carol has written this note that's like, I want great things for you, but we cannot be together. I have to focus on this and get this all sorted out.
0: Carol basically says, I can't see you again. I'll miss you.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: And so Therese is messed up.
1: Yeah, she winds up getting Think, a job at the New York Times. Thinks Abby hates her,
0: too, on the trip, which I found interesting. Yeah. She was, like, trying to play the, like, oh, you're just jealous of our relationship card. And Abby's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I don't care about you. Right. Like, be
1: happy. Do what you want. <laughs> live your like, life.
0: why do you hate me? And uh, Sarah Paulson's-
1: insufficient snails in your bag.
0: Sir <laughs> Paulson's response is just, if I hated you, would I have flown out here to just drive you home, you ingrateful person? And so then, Therese gets back and starts trying to pull her life together. She gets a new job as a clerk at the New York Times Photography Department. She paints her apartment? She paints her apartment with the guy who got her the job there, who kissed her earlier in the movie. And yeah. she was like, Nah, thanks. No, it's fine. She's. I, you can almost tell she's like trying it out in that situation with a different man to see if she likes it more. And she still does not. <laughs> still does not.
1: Meanwhile, Carol's going through her divorce proceedings. She winds up making a deal with Harge where he gets full custody, but she gets visitation.
0: Yes, yeah, because they had a plan. They were going to argue she's in psychotherapy. They were going to try and make an argument for more custody, not just visitation rights. But Carol is just like, I can't let my daughter see me, like, be this person I'm not. I don't want her to see us hate each other either. Right. And she blames hard. She's like, if you do this, our daughter will be messed up because of you deciding to be such a horrible person. And you'd make it so she'd never get to see her mother again. Pulls all these arguments and actually breaks hard down.
1: And then she leaves. And And then she leaves. We're kind of led to believe that The resolution will involve her getting...
0: Basically, she says, I will negotiate down to just supervised visits if that's what it takes, but I can't pretend to be someone I'm not.
1: And at that point, she is still thinking a lot about Therese. She's talking to Abby about it. She's being like, am I crazy to still be thinking about all this? And Abby's like, maybe, but maybe not.
0: Yeah, and so she's driving in a cab in the city and she sees Therese crossing the street in the distance and doesn't say anything, but just watches.
1: And then she sends her a note at the New York Times.
0: That says just like, I hope you're well, would you like to have dinner with me? Or tea. They've tea.
1: Which brings us back to that opening scene.
0: Right. So that's where we go in. They're getting their tea carol says i love you and then we get and that's when the dude interrupts. and that's when and we it's get like, the hey, dude Therese,
1: good to see you it's haven't seen you in months you're coming to the party with us i'll give you a ride and Therese is like, oh, this is very awkward. I'm a very shy person. I don't even know what lunch to order. Someone
0: just told me they love me. And now a loud man is here. That's when Carol stands up and is saying goodbye and does the hand touch and walks out. And... But she
1: also has previously said, if you'd like to join me, I'm having dinner at the Oak Room tonight.
0: That's right. Before and... she said, I love you. And
1: Therese was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Therese is justifiably still upset and is not really opening up or reciprocating anything from Carol. Right.
1: Right. But then Therese goes to the party and she's like going around chatting with people.
0: Carrie Brownstein's there.
1: Playing Carrie Brownstein. Yeah,
0: she's not acting. I think she just wandered onto set and was like, oh, there's a party. And she starts trying to flirt with Therese. But
1: then Therese leaves. She walks past. She sees Jake Lacey dancing with a new girl. Yeah. She sees the New York Times guy watching movies and taking notes.
0: Right. And so everyone seems like coupled up and happy and she's just not
1: she leaves and she goes to the Oak Room. We've got that Carter Burwell score just driving yeah. forward. Yeah.
0: She pushes her way past the Mater D, who's like, you can't go in without a reservation. She's like, I'm meeting someone. He's like, I can't let you in. And she's just like, screw Keeps you. Keeps blazing past. Blazes past, walks through the restaurant, and eventually sees Carol sitting in the back corner, laughing with her friends, tosses her hair over her shoulder and rubs her neck. And then Carol sees her. And smiles. And they both smile. And that's the ending. This movie rules. This movie was great. But Do- it's, so, it's like, difficult to describe how it's great,
1: because so much of it is in those visuals.
0: Yeah, it's also, like, we kind of just blaze through their whole relationship, and it makes it seem faster than it is. It's still a two-hour movie. Yeah. It's just a lot of long, lingering shots that really builds up the fascination of these two women
1: right it's that fever dream obsession
0: yeah so do you find the romance between Carolyn and therese believable i do i think so too
1: yeah there is the like road trip after three days kind of deal
0: yeah that is a little like out there but also i think at the time if you found someone who you were attracted to was attracted to you and it was like a same sex couple i feel like you probably just went for it i agree because it was so rare so I understand why that they move so fast and just like their whole relationship feels built up in a way where I was on board.
1: Yeah, and just every piece of the movie works so well to build up the intensity of that obsession. Right. So we really get it from the way that the camera just kind of lingers on each of the people to I, I keep bringing it back to the score cuz I really really like the Oh, score I this love movie. it. But then also just the ways that the characters are so subdued in the way they talk to each other. But They're, is yeah. a nervousness, but a certainty to it. That is really kind of fascinating.
0: And you can just see it in, they show all the photographs that Therese took of Carol on yes. their trip, and you can just see it in the pictures too. The feelings, the intensity of her emotion towards Carol and her fascination with this person.
1: So where would you rate this on our 10 point scale where zero is totally unbelievable? None of it makes any sense to 10 is like completely believable. It all clicks.
0: I'm at nine or a 10. I agree. I agree i'm i
1: think i'm a nine
0: i think i'm a nine The road trip
1: is still a lot for me yeah
0: if they weren't going on a road trip which is
1: a road trip of undefined length and destination yeah
0: then it would probably be a 10 but it also wouldn't have been as good of a movie
1: exactly the road trip is great (laughs) so you have
0: to like you know trade off your believability for quality of film
1: there's a funny thing i read an interview with todd haynes and he talked about the road trip from a cinematography perspective as being inspired by Steven Spielberg's The Sugarland Express. Which I could like kind of see in some of the ways that there are shots done from outside the car looking in on the people in there and their interactions. But that's such a different movie that it was kind of weird to be thinking about it while watching this.
0: I should watch that movie. You would love it. Okay. So, Will. Yes. Do you think they're dateable? Um. I'm struggling with this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not for me, I don't think.
0: I don't think so. A lot of that is because of the cultural differences, I think, just almost of the time that it's set. Right. Where everyone's so formal, you know, dating just felt very different.
1: Yeah. And Therese's. Therese is
0: so passive.
1: Passivity, her uncertainty is kind of exhausting to me. Yeah.
0: And then Carol's very intense. Too intense. Too intense.
1: I'm happy they found each other.
0: Yeah. Um, our dining tastes just don't line up. No, good God. Uh, Honestly, no
1: pizza was consumed in this movie. The
0: poached, the boiled spinach over poached eggs really threw me off of Carol as a person. Yeah. Because of how disgusting that sounds. Is she a bad person? (laughs) So I'm going to go with "Mm, probably not.
1: Okay, but then who would you date if you had to date someone in the movie?
0: I'm going to give you one guess. There's only one answer There is one answer. There's basically four people in this movie. And I've got two of them we've ruled out, and one is Harge, who tries <laughs> to take Carol's daughter away from her. So that leaves the person- Plus, then you're dating a guy named Harge. Yeah. So that leaves the one person who, also in every other movie we've watched with her, I've chosen. Right. So... We always
1: choose Sarah Paulson. I <laughs> it's think Sarah we Paulson. Chose Sarah Paulson for The Post.
0: I think we chose Sarah Paulson for Down With Love, also. For sure, she's great. She's perfect, and Abby is the person I would want to date. Abby's fun-loving, caring. like open lesbian, caring, actively dating other women.
1: Yeah, she's great. She's so cool. All right, that probably does it for this movie.
0: Kind of oh, rules. Do you think they'd stay together? Oh, yeah. Um, unclear. Maybe it's really hard to tell. I don't know. I can see Therese moving in and them living as gal pals for a while, but yeah. the societal pressure of the era is just difficult. And they are very different. Therese maybe might come into her own and realize that, I don't know. It's It's also
1: hard for me to think about this without thinking again of Patricia Highsmith herself, who was never in a, like, really long-lasting relationship. Yeah. And who had based Carol not just on the woman in Bloomingdale's, but also on some other women that she did have relationships with, including one woman, Virginia Kent Catherwood, who lost custody of her children... Because of recordings of her lesbian trysts in a hotel room. So, like, I think the connections to Highsmith's life where she's pulling on that make me partially draw conclusions to the other parts of her life where I don't really see this carrying on. Therese is, by all accounts, very much an avatar of Patricia Highsmith.
0: Yeah. So I'm leaning towards no, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So, I think that about does it. That
1: about does it for this movie. Looking towards next week, we're doing another one of those all-time classic family dinner movies. We're going to take a look at Shrek 2 again. Just kidding. We're never doing another DreamWorks movie.
0: (laughs) So, next week, we're covering Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which Will says is an all-time classic family dinner movie, but... I was disappointed in the lack of dinner consumed in this movie. No
1: dinner is eaten in this movie.
0: You see no one eating dinner. It does have two title drops, though. It does. It's a great movie.
1: I wanted to have, like, a little kazoo or one of those birthday blowers that unfurls when you blow into it. So I get like, Wah!
0: Yeah. Very excited to talk about this one. It's
1: great. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love Pod, And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com.
0: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Last question, Mark. What
1: is the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie?
0: Seemed like wearing perfume that the husband you're currently divorcing bought you worked out pretty well for Carol.
1: I was going to say just
0: trains. <laughs> Good work, Will. <laughs> Selling Carol a train seemed to work
1: really well. Trains are great. Took a nice long pro- pause
0: to come up with the word train. I'm
1: very pro-train. I had trains in my head when you asked. I was just trying to think if there was a better way to word it, and I decided there was not.
0: All right, until next time, I'm gay.
1: And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance.
0: Bye! Bye. living for you. It's easy living, it's easy to live. When you're in love, and I'm so in love, there's nothing in life but you.